Hi, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stephen Tager. Welcome to Revival Podcast on this day of double blessings. If you're listening to it on a Tuesday, you should know every time you're on a Tuesday, <laughs> it's a weird way to say that, but when you get to Tuesday, um, ancient Hebrews called that, and maybe modern Hebrews, modern <laughs> Jews, <laughs> we don't know who, everybody called it the day of double blessings, because in the Genesis account, Tuesday was the day God said it was good twice, so I hope it's Tuesday for you. If it's not, another one's coming, baby, <laughs> in less than seven days. We talk about things that are double good on this podcast, things that, what it, the double good parts of living a life of faith, a revival, just things that can like, ah, I need some good news. I need some hope. I need some encouragement on this journey of mine. Life can be so hard for so many reasons, but God compensates for that. And he says, let me pour out upon you all that you'll need and more to make it through, thrive, to live an abundant life. So those are the kind of things we look for. And we find them in ancient scripture and modern scripture. And just so happy to be here with everybody. Me hi, too. Hi, Stefan. Hey, how are you doing? So good. All is right, it Christmas y'all. yet when this episode comes I, out? I, it's getting there. It's getting there. Remember okay. last week we decided Christmas has already begun. We don't know when you're going to have your dance around the, <laughs> <laughs> dance around the whatever that you do. But y'all, we said this two weeks ago or last week. I don't know, but remember those things that you just want to go to goodnewsbrandco.com right now. Pause the podcast even, you know. <laughs> we have got these new resources, products that will help you keep conference alive in your house in ways that are beautiful and simple but significant. We've got our 60 North zine. I can't even tell you that you're going to want to get it for everyone that you know. It's a way to just Stefan, say what you like about it. You, Stefan was thump, flipping through it. He didn't think he was going to love it because he was like, I don't know if I'm into zines, but he did. Is that a zine? Yeah. I oh, call it okay. zine. I love it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Honestly, I, I think the pictures are beautiful and it's just powerful words from conference, the words yeah. of the prophets. So, and so, so I didn't good. even know what was going on with this. And then I yeah. looked at it. I was like, oh, this is. He's like, I want one. <laughs> I'm going to give him one, y'all. Don't worry. And then our conversation cards, they are available by the time this comes out on that really pretty gold brass stand. And they can just sit out and one a week, you can have a little conversation with either yourself, because that's fine, or your family, whoever you live with, and just be reminded of those little sparks of good from conference. So go check out all the things there, y'all. You guys, today, this talk by Elder Saban started, that made me gasp, I want you to know, because he met that gentleman on a plane whose job was a professor of happiness. <laughs> Why is that a real life job? And how come I don't have it? You do. Well, thank you. That's your job. <laughs> you guys, Stefan's a professor, if anyone doesn't know, like a real life PhD professor. I play right? one on TV. You know? but, <laughs> <laughs> but you are. You're a professor of happiness. I do think the gospel is a gospel of happiness. It is. So hopefully, amen. Hopefully we're trying to do that. You know? Amen. Can I be a professor of happiness without the degree is what I want to know. Why not? That I'll, was I'll not print a one solid out for you. yes. <laughs> I'll print it out. <laughs> I'm going to be an honorary professor of happiness, everybody. I think this, I want that job, number one. And number two, his job was he studied like how to live the happy life how to establish meaningful relationships and goals. And I really want to talk to this man, this professor of happiness, about what he thinks about our current world that mm. we live in right now. 
because one time I got caught up in this. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking the Roman Empire or something. <laughs> ah, just kidding, y'all. That's old. That's done. But I uh, just thinking about. I think there's among some a general sense that the enlight we're enlightened. We have this technology now. We have this world that we live in that we should be happier than people in the past. We have cars now and the World Wide Web, you know, and yeah. medicine. And for sure, all of these things are creating a more comfortable life. Yeah. And they're extending life. Our buddy John Hilton, I remember him saying it's something like, can you imagine if you told people 100 years ago that we have machines that automatically wash our clothes and automatically, like, wash our dishes yeah. and that we can get food all kinds of food from all over the world, literally just by driving down the street. You don't even have to drive anymore. I know. It's on your ass. <laughs> they, right. they come to you. <laughs> right. And, that, and, and soon those drones are going to bring up <laughs> and they're going to drop off my Chick-fil-A on my doorstep. And it's going to be awesome. And yet what's one of the most common things we hear is I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm just not very happy. Yeah. I mean, I really would love to know, are we happier or not? Than like 100, 100 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, on some level, it's kind of I mean, not to be too serious, but just to be real. I think I read something about 20% of people, and I think it was the United States, deal with mental illness, like struggle, like with some kind of real serious mm. mental illness that they're going through. I mean, that's one out of five people you walk past in the mall are dealing with something pretty hard to go through, right? Yeah. This name of this talk is Hallmarks of Happiness. And it's like just almost like an invitation to like to refocus on those patterns of living that actually bring genuine happiness that are time tested because i think i don't know if a case can be made that the people in the past were happier than we are today have you read the little house in the prairie books i saw the show growing up on pbs <laughs> <laughs> were they happier well, I mean, that was a TV show, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think there's, uh, for sure, I don't think anyone has a leg to stand on to say we are happier today than people in the past, but I would put money on the people in the past were happier than we are today. Hmm. I mean, I don't think you can prove it. Certainly you can't, right? But if I had to put my dollar somewhere, that's where I put it, is that there's something about, was it the simplicity? I mean, have we been distracted from what these hallmarks of happiness actually are? Is yeah. it too simple? Is that maybe the problem? Is it too like, it's like, no, it can't be. Yeah. It can't be that easy. It can't be. Are we distracted? I don't know. Sorry to do this, but mine goes to a philosopher who... I love when you do this. Do not <laughs> apologize for that because these philosophers... <laughs> I can't even say the word. That's the problem. <laughs> they like live. Stefan has lunch with these people in his mind. And it's so fascinating. It's really kind of you. I, one philosopher, Martin Heidegger, he diagnoses sort of the lack of meaningfulness that we experience as a result of technology. The way he points to this is he Wait, says... Wait, say that again. I sort of was spacing and, I, and then... He and says basically that. technology has unintentionally led to a lack of meaningfulness. Huh. And... If I understand him correctly, the reason why is because with technology, you can sort of get whatever you want, whenever you want, especially as technology moves and moves. And therefore, there are less constraints or demands on your life. Everything sort of just becomes passing, uh, just fulfilling my passing desires rather than there being something calling out to me. I don't know how to say this really quickly, but a quick example might be if I live in Utah, 
I can just adjust my yard and my environment to be whatever I want. But if I mm -hmm. live in a certain part of the world and the environment makes demands upon me, like maybe I can't get Grow water. a certain kind right. of, okay, grass right. or whatever, whatever it is, right? Mean, yeah. And this is a really simple example. But those demands are actually the things that make life meaningful. I mean, maybe perhaps one example might be like harvest time. Because we gather in all our food, it becomes this celebration and meaningfulness, right? Mm. And so because we just kind of get whatever Something we that you invested in, right. that you hoped for, right. that you... But it's also the limiting factor. I know that sounds strange, yeah. but it's when life makes demands on me, that's where I actually can distinguish between what's important and what's not, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, in fact, really what this talk people is... People are so smart. I know, he, yeah. he was... Brilliant. Like yeah. people, people say he's one of the best in the 20th century, but that's what this talk is really trying to do is saying, okay, here's reality. Now here's how reality like calls out to us a certain way to live. Now respond to reality. He starts off by saying, Zelda Staben, today I would like to review a few essential principles for true happiness that seem to elude so many in this confusing world where many things are interesting, but few are truly important. In fact, we didn't cook that up, but that was exactly what we were just talking about. Right. There's all this interesting stuff, but you can't really distinguish between what's vital, what's important, what's mm. what actually is making a demand on me. And I don't know how to say demand in a nicer way, but that's, you know. Right. I'm actually having this thing happening in my soul right now where I want to move away. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into this. I'm just like, wait a second. Maybe I do want to move to the little house on the prairie or something like that where... It's not as where things don't, where I'm not overwhelmed with so much that's interesting and super convenient. So I guess the question is most people listening are going to want to discover how do I live this pattern of happiness in the current world and culture? We can't that go back. I, right? We're not going to, we're not going to do that. Right. right? We're not going to, you know, get hand cards or whatever. And yeah. you know, like that, yeah. that kind of thing. And so what are the constraints that are still there? on reality or just the principles of happiness. The first one he says is, therefore, my first observation is that building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ is essential to our happiness. This is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Doing so prepares us for the challenges of life come what may. I don't know about you, Dave, but when I was teaching seminary, it's not even close. It's not even close. That was the number one scripture that students shared during their devotional was Helaman 512. Mm. And you could just say, oh, they were just copying each other and it's a popular verse. Which I wonder, probably, but... There's probably an element of that on some level. But I also wonder if the hand of the Lord was in that and just saying, hey, this generation really needs to know that, that your foundation is Jesus of Nazareth. I think people are yearning for something that won't change. Yearning for something that I can bear, dig down deep into, right? Secure myself to something that won't, move. There's just, I feel like there's always so many people live in this fear and anxiety of what tomorrow is going to bring mm. because things change so rapidly in the world that we live in. What if you didn't have to fear about tomorrow? Mm. What if you knew that you were going to be secure and safe right? and not just on a rock, you know, a lifeless foundation, but in a relationship with a person hmm. that tomorrow's not going to change his devotion to me, his interest in me, his love and concern about me, 
and about my future. I actually love the one I read in a study Bible that one way to translate the phrase I am, Yahweh, or I am that I am, the full, that full name of God, is I will be what tomorrow demands. And to be in a relationship with he who will be what tomorrow demands. There's something about feeling really secure about my tomorrow that makes me feel really, I'm more free to enjoy the goodness of today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's numerous psychological studies that say our capacity to really feel happy is to be present. And if we're always worrying about the past, we can't be present. And if we're always worrying about the future, we can't be present. And Jesus says, past, sins, shame, I bore it, gone, yeah. cleansed, canceled, erased. Future, uh, celestial glory, hope, hope, faith, all things made right. The Garden of Eden restored on the earth. And so because the past and the present are taking, I mean, past and the future are taken care of, it says, okay, let's get to work on loving those right in front of us and doing doing the work of God right here, right now in this moment. Yeah, that's so awesome. So many of these things are going to slide, fit right into that little box that you set up there. So that first one, that building on that foundation of Jesus Christ and what his character is like, I think matters a lot with that because he tells that story, remember, of his son who was at the archery thing. And at first, I, when I read that story, I was like, that story doesn't really have much to do with <laughs> <laughs> that principle. And then as I'm thinking about it now, remember his son like shoots the wrong target and... Sorry, wrong target. Yep. Yeah. Right. And the instructor, the archery instructor just lets him like, great, good job. Almost as if the, as if his he understood that the boy's intention is what mattered the most. Right. And I think that that is part of the character of God. He's like, I'm actually, I'm really interested in your intention. And to know, that's just one aspect of his character. But even just to understand that one, you're just like, I actually feel really safe and secure in relationship with you because I don't have to get it right all the time. You care about my intentions. And that's just one aspect of it. And so there's something that's, that's really comforting and calming and just, which is now making me think, we really live in a hyper-anxious society. And maybe that's why and any kind of principle that can kind of calm that and settle us in that, I think is going to, is what leads to happiness. Maybe yeah. anxiety, like, I don't mean everybody, I'm not talking about medical diagnosed anxiety here when I say that, but, you know, that anxiousness and fear of things. Anyways, my mind's like circling too fast for what we're doing, but. So he says, he says, my second observation is that it is crucial to our happiness that we remember that we are sons and daughters of loving of a loving heavenly father knowing and trusting this reality changes everything mm. right yeah so that's another one of those aspects of reality that when that makes a demand on us in a good way that every single one of us is a child of god i remember my son william when he was little he used to look out the window and this was when our first house in provo and he would look out the window and people would walk by and he would just say hi hi when people would walk by and the people who would actually turn and say hi to him back, I was just so grateful. And I just was so happy that they were kind to my boy. Mm. I think it deeply gives our Father in Heaven joy when we're just kind to his children and loving to them. Right? Yeah, that's actually his third principle. And maybe two leads to three. Right. Where if you're just, if you're so settled in, I know who I am and I know 
I have a purpose. That Moses one, when God says to Moses, I'm God Almighty, your father. Number two, you are my son. And number three, I have a work for you to do. And I think part of that work for us to do, if I know that, by default, I know it about you. And if I believe it and I let it, what he says, sink deep into my soul, then the ripple effect of that is going to be like, oh, and then I actually know it about you also. Yeah. The way you get it to sink deep into your soul is to live in the light of it. It's not just behavior, but it's to allow your whole way of being, the whole way that you live, be influenced by the fact that everyone's a child of God, right? Yeah. And I lo- I actually love that you just went down that path. I was thinking the other day, we, I, I should say, should I speak for all of humanity here, need to spend more time just letting God love me. And there's something about the really fast world that I live in that does it. To let something sink into my soul, I actually picture something that sinks really slowly, like settling dust in a river, you know, like the riverbed dirt. Just like, oh, let that just settle into you. Yeah. How beautiful. And then it will lead to, I think, number three, his third thing, which is what you were just talking about. We will never regret being too kind. Yeah, he says the third hallmark for happiness is always to remember the worth of a soul. We do this best by following the Savior's admonition, love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus becomes the model for the kind of love that we live. We get lots of ideas about what love is in our culture, what it's not. Mm -hmm. But for Jesus, it's self-sacrificial, other-centered love. How do I be a blessing in other people's lives? And what did Jesus spend his time doing? Teaching, healing, feeding, helping people, and liberating them, finding ways to bring those kinds of things into people's lives. It seems it's countercultural, counterintuitive maybe because of our natural man that to lose your life, you'll find it. Right. No one sells the kind of life that Jesus lived. And yet there's something deep in me that's intrigued by it. And my experiences prove it true. Hmm. If you lose your life in that love of others, you, it multiplies, you find it, but it feels counterintuitive. Yeah. Like that's not going to work. I got to grab it. I got to snatch it. I have to go after it. And Jesus is, I promise that's not the way to it. <laughs> it's so interesting because in uh, one of the ways that that's done in church culture is, is we call young people on missions right at the time when they have to start deciding what kind of human they're going to be. And rather than saying, hey, just kind of sit around and sort of figure out who you are, the Savior says, get on a mission, go out and bless the world. Mm. If you just forget about yourself and go do good, go be mm. a blessing, then you'll start to see what kind of person you want to be in this world and what gifts and talents God has given that person. I just think of that chosen scene where it says, you know, Matthew, son of Alpheus, follow me. That's the way you find yourself. Yeah. It's, it's by losing yourself in that service. Yeah. Oh, that makes me want to go again. <laughs> All right. Good no, to go someday. Yeah. Number four, he says, is to live in that eternal perspective. And I'm so fascinated by that story of his daughter when she's about to go into that life-threatening surgery. And her response is, tomorrow I will wake up with new lungs or I will wake up in a better place. And then she says this line, either way will be great. Hmm. And he says this line, seeing life from an eternal vantage point, understanding that there's more than just what we have here provides clarity, comfort, 
courage, and hope. Beautiful. Yeah. That seemed to be what President Nelson's whole talk was about, right? And then number five, gratitude. He says, that brings me to my fifth and final observation, which is you will never be happier than you are grateful. Yeah. Oh, that's actually the centerfold in the 60 North. Did you know that? Every one of them has a... (laughs) That's one of the best winners of that whole (laughs) conference. And it comes back to what you said at the beginning, which was the idea that gratitude is a practice of noticing the goodness of God in my present. That's what it does. Gratitude is noticing his goodness right now. It's a practice of living in the present moment, living in the light of God's goodness today. Yeah. One of the ways to really do this in a very practical way is to take something you're struggling with, working through, trying to make sense of, and asking yourself, what are you grateful for in relationship to that trial? Not just the things you're learning, although that could be a part of it. But let's say you're struggling with like a difficult child. You might stop and say, what am I grateful for, genuinely grateful regarding this child? Or maybe you're struggling with your job and you say, okay, why am I grateful for my job? This isn't a positive thinking technique where we lie to ourselves. It's actually one of the ways to see life clearly because life is actually that good. Life Mm -hmm. is filled with beauty and wonder and the grace of God. And gratitude is how we take off the scales and start to see it and live in it. If you were to take every single one of these, I think a case could be made that Jesus of Nazareth was one of the happiest beings that's ever lived in the world. And his teachings and the impact that he's had in the world, I mean, just think of what it's inspired people to do and the way it's like motivated people to live. And all of that came from a cross on Calvary's Hill from three years among a bunch of, for lack of a better word, nobodies that he lived among in this tiny desert spot in the world. And that kind of life has created so much thrill, so much joy, so much happiness in the rest of the world. Like his life is evidence that this is the pattern of living that leads to happiness. Yeah, it's on some level, there's uh, baptism is a beautiful symbol for this because there's a part of us, and I mean this in the most healthy way, that has to die. We have to give up trying to find happiness in the world's way. Not that this world is bad or that, like you said a a few episodes ago or last episode, it's about ordering the things that we love. Mm -hmm. And But that means that there are things in us that we have to say, do you know what? That's not going to be the most important thing to me. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that die. And death in Jesus's kingdom and in his way always leads to resurrection in life. Yeah. All right. We'll see y'all next week.